Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Just two verses tonight. Last time when I preached in, in this uh, series, uh, I was given a whole chapter and then about four or five verses. Uh, tonight, just two verses, but oddly enough, uh, I think this sermon is going to be longer than the one on the whole chapter and a half. But that's just how it goes sometimes, all right? But uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2, uh, we'll be looking at the uh, sermon title is Exalting Christ, Demonstrating Godliness Through Honor and Praise. Although if I had to give it a secondary title, I would probably say don't skip the instructions. Don't skip the instructions. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is continuing writing to Timothy on these instructions for the church. Uh, Michael, uh, Brother Michael covered last week, all of chapter 5, we saw all these ways that are to honor. Well, now we get to another part uh, that was uh, left out of chapter 5 and put in the very part of, of chapter 6, the very first part. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not, must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. And then verse 2b, teach and urge these things. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. God, we're thankful, Lord, that you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, we ask tonight, as we study and as we examine your word, your truth, that you might help us to see and receive the truth from your word tonight. In your name we do pray. Amen. When I was uh, in high school and even some in college, I worked for a furniture store. Uh, part of that job was uh, delivering furniture, putting things on the showroom floor, and, but also a big part of it was assembling furniture. Uh, lovely task. Um, in fact, one of the bunk beds we had to put together, we would charge an extra $250 because that thing was ridiculous to put together. But the one thing that I remember the most was this grill, this charcoal grill that I put together so many times. And there was always one step that I wanted just to skip over it. I thought it was unnecessary and I didn't want to do that step. I was just ready to be done with it because I had five more grills to put together. You know what I'm talking about? just want to skip over that part that seemed a little inconvenient for me. And so in our text tonight, Paul, he's continuing these, these instructions. And this instruction might seem like one that we want to skip over. I mean, it seems a little off. It seems as one that maybe has some controversy. Paul, are, are you sure about this instruction? I don't think this is right. You know, how many, how many times do you think that you know better than the instruction manual, right? I think I can do this better than whoever wrote this instruction book, right? If we're not careful, we can be the same way with this text. And, and perhaps, maybe even, the people who Paul was writing to, the, the people who that would receive these instructions, maybe they thought the same thing. But with this, we do not need to skip over the instructions. Now, what I love about expository preaching and, and sermon series where we go verse by verse is you can't skip over the verses because it's, it's right there. Well, what happened? Why didn't we go over those two verses? It would be obvious if we just skipped over these two verses. And so when, we, when you go verse by verse, you have to address the difficult topics. And that's one of the reasons why I love going through verse by verse. You see uh, passages like this, like this one that we see here tonight, it, it is easy to skip over. It's easy to skip over. And, and when we do that, we really do ourselves a disservice and also young believers and students like teenagers. 
And so what happens is these teenagers grow up, they go off to college maybe, and then they hear someone who is smart and intellectual and who's very convincing. They say, you see this verse? You see these verses in the Bible? Well, the Bible approves of slavery. What do you have to say about that? And we're left, you know, if you've never taught this scripture, never observed it, maybe you are willing to receive that information that they give you. And then you start making questions about other things. So what I hope to do tonight is to show you uh, what I believe God's word has to say and what the original intent was surrounding this. And so, uh, what do we do with a passage like this? What do we do with a passage that says that slaves should honor their masters? Well, we read it, and we, we, we think here in America in 2023, is he talking about like the slavery that we know about in, in our U.S. history books? No, not exactly. Not, not exactly at all. And this, pers- this passage is not pertaining to the horrible horrific African slave trade that we know well from our U.S. history books. It's not what he's talking about. The slavery, as seen in biblical context, primarily encompasses the Hebrew servanthood and the Roman slavery. I'm going to give you just a brief, brief paraphrase, just a brief uh, summary of what those two institutions were. In the Hebrew servanthood in the Old Testament, we find a system of Hebrew servanthood that was designed to assist impoverished, impoverished uh, Israelites. We read that about that in Leviticus chapter 25. And in that text, it outlines a system that allowed for someone to enter servanthood voluntarily to escape poverty. And this arrangement resembled a contractual agreement with servants treated as hired employees um, rather than property. And while there were some instances of unjust treatment among God's people, because they were sinners and imperfect, just like you and I are, sinful people, uh, this practice of Hebrew servanthood aimed to aid those in need. And in the New Testament, we see and we read about Roman slavery, and this is more along with what uh, Paul was addressing here. Within the Roman Empire, slavery was deeply enriched, encompassing, historians say, about one-third of the population. Around 50 to 60 million individuals at that time were in Roman slavery, and Roman slavery varied. Some slaves were serving as teachers, or craftsmen, or cooks, or even government officials. Slavery was not solely based on ethnicity, but instead on economic and social status. And so many saw it as an opportunity to gain Roman citizenship upon release at age 30. So it offered them a chance to provide for themselves. Now, that's a little bit about what the biblical context of slavery involves and more along the context of what Paul was addressing here in this passage, not what you and I know about. Um, But slavery, we do know, is not part of God's original creation. It emerges from sin. And so while Paul's instruction here pertain to a specific time and a specific context, they do not signify biblical endorsements of slavery at all. It does not endorse slavery at all. Instead, Paul is guiding individuals caught in a sin-affected societal structure that necessitated such agreements. I mean, for example, consider uh, divorce. Is divorce by God's design? No. Divorce was never intended by God. God never designed for such a system to uh, uh, establish divorce. But does Scripture offer some instructions and guidance for handling divorce? Yes, it does. Scripture offers guidance for handling divorce even though God does not endorse nor support divorce. 
So with slavery, because of a consequence of sin, the Bible addresses in various ways throughout the Bible uh, about it. So despite the presence of sin, God offers guidance for navigating complex, sinful situations. But again, make no mistake, the Bible does not support. It condemns slavery. And if we had more time, if this were an apologetics conference or that's what we were going, I would have more time to discuss all the different ways in which the Bible condemns slavery. But rest assured, it is not silent on this issue at all. The Bible does, can, does not uh, support it. It condones and it, it does not condone the evils of slavery as we know it uh, to be. And in no way does it tolerate the kind of slavery that took place in this country. And any pastor or believer uh, long ago who used possibly even this passage to support or justify the practice of slavery were living in sin. So, now that we've covered that part, we've gotten that out the way, and that does require some context. My hermeneutics pa- uh, professor in college always preached to me and instilled in me context determines meaning. It's important we have some context here for this passage of Scripture. One of the reasons why the sermon's a little bit longer and it's only two verses is because it requires some context. But um, Paul addresses Timothy in these two verses. He addresses him and he's writing uh, to Timothy, the pastor of a church, where there is likely, if you remember, 50 to 60 million people and trafficked in slavery, likely there's some tension between slaves and masters. So it is thought that the gospel was very popular among those who were oppressed, those who were living in poverty. And so naturally, that would mean that a large chunk of the audience would have been enslaved in some way. So Paul is instructing slaves who are forced to live in this imperfect situation in several ways. So if you are taking notes tonight, uh, some of the instructions, the first step, if you will, the first step of this instruction is to regard masters with honor. Regard masters with honor. So if we are to exalt Christ, if our whole aim as a church and as a body of believers, if we are to exalt Christ, to praise the name of God, we have to live godly lives. And Paul has addressed that uh, so far in this book, that we're to live godly lives. And we do that through honoring others. Paul has already listed several ways, several different relationships and people and circumstances which we should give honor. And here he lists one more. We are to regard masters with honor. Look back at verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants, or your translations may actually say slaves, regard their own masters of worthy of all honor, of all honor. So he says here, regard their own masters as worthy of all honors. Paul says slaves, bondservants, slaves, in the strongest sense. And he gives some more uh, analogies, illustration here with different words of, of like yoke and, and master. I mean, this was a, Paul is, is, he's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's saying, you who are enslaved, honor your masters. In this situation, test a person's Christian attitude and character significantly. Could you imagine putting yourself in their shoes and receiving this instruction? Would this not be an instruction that you would want to skip over? Doesn't sound fun. I don't like that step. Don't like that at all, Paul. I liked all the other ones when you talked about honoring the older people in the church, honoring widows, honoring ministers, and all that. I, I like those, Pauls. I can handle those things. But this instruction, I don't like that, Paul. You see, we can't treat God's word that way, can we? We can't skip over things that we don't like and only follow things that we do like. 
Why should they honor their masters? Well, Paul tells us, so that God would be praised. Look look there at the second part of verse one. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Some of your translations might say, may not be blaspheming. Why should we honor those masters? Why should we honor those in authority? Paul tells us so that God would be praised. Hence the, we exalt Christ by displaying godliness through honor and praise. We honor those we, in, in all relationships of our lives, whatever that looks like for you in your life, so that God might be praised, so that God might be glorified in everything that we say and that we do. Paul uses a word here uh, to, to count count, to, to regard, count, suggesting that some effort might be necessary, might be necessary. It can be challenging to show honor to an unsaved master, particularly if they treat their slaves harshly and disrespectful. Now, we, we are not to, in any form of slavery here, but many of us probably have had bosses who were not very fair to us, who treated us disrespectful who do not uh, take care of you very well. You've had people of authority over you. So you can put yourself in those shoes and remember those times if that's where maybe you find yourself there right now. And I think Paul's instruction, the application could apply for us as well, that wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself working, if you have someone authority over you, to treat them with honor, to honor them. Because the reason we want God's name to be praised, we want the teaching of his word to not be blasphemed. The reason a Christian slave needs to have the right attitude is to prevent any disrespect towards God's name and his teachings. These uh, are the true, are the most crucial aspects of Christian faith. And it's this, that God's name represents who he is. God's name represents who he is, and you and I, as believers in Christ, we are representatives of his name wherever we go. In the workplace, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, wherever we go, we are representatives of his name, of who he is, his qualities, and his essential nature. His teaching refers to what he communicates about us and himself in his written word. So you and I, we, we share and we teach the world about who God is by how we live our lives through our communication, through our speech, and how we honor folks. You see, it wouldn't look very good for the church if we uh, uh, completely skipped over all the instructions that Paul had previously given us. If the world says, well, the church, do you see how they treat their own people? I, I don't, how could they ever treat me well? If, if we don't take good care of ourselves here, no one's ever going to want to come to church here. And in doing so, not only that, there's no one want to come to uh, Lone Oak First Baptist, they're not going to want to have anything to do with the Lord himself at all. So we do this so that the name of Jesus, that God's name, would not be blasphemed, would not be reviled, but instead his name would be praised and the teaching of his word would be praised and we would make much of God's name and his teachings. So slaves are to honor their master so that God might be praised. And in their sin-filled servitude that they find themselves in, Paul tells them, instructs them, exalt Christ, make much of Christ, praise his name. And don't do the opposite by blaspheming his, his name. He says, exalt Christ by regarding your masters with honor, because in doing so, they will be praising their heavenly master. That's what we just sang a few minutes ago with that wonderful old song that Mark found for us. It actually did work out very well, Mark. 
The second step in this instruction, the second step in this instruction is to respect fellow believers as masters. Respect fellow believers as masters. Look, look in verse 2. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit their good service are believers and beloved. The challenge for Christian slaves was to honor heathen masters who might not be honorable. But on the other hand, Paul now says having a Christian master uh, could create an even more difficult situation, right? The slave might struggle with feelings of resentment toward their Christian master precisely because they have a shared faith. It must have been awkward for them to be in the worship service together and, and singing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. And yet the other one's thinking, well, it must be nice for you. How about you unshackle my chains, okay? You've got me and slavery and bondage to you. Why don't we do this? You could maybe sense some resentment that they have, especially since Paul states in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free, neither is there male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That must have been hard for a believing uh, a believer who is in uh, this form of, of slavery and to have a master who is also a believer to, to, to work, to worship together, and then to return to a daily life where the master-slave relationship required honor. Some Christian slave owners might have chosen to free their slave. That certainly might have happened, but there was no direct command from Jesus or his apostles to do so. So consequently, if the slave wasn't set free, they might begin to despise or look down upon and develop negative feelings towards their Christian masters. Or perhaps other Christian slaves might have expected special treatment since they were fellow believers like their masters. Maybe even granting freedom. You know, that, that job that I have, I told you about, the furniture job, uh, I got that job because I was an idiot. Um, be honest with you, I was a teenager. I had a job. I had a perfectly fine job uh, working at a fast food place. But I was at the auto parts store getting parts for my truck, and they said, hey, would you like a job delivering car parts? I said, yeah, I would. I'd much rather do this. So I went back to the fast food place. Before I quit, though, uh, I wasn't a complete idiot. I used my employee discount to get 50% off uh, the triple cheeseburger combo. And then once I finished that, I went and told my boss, hey, uh, I'm quitting. I've got another job that I like better. And they said, what? Well, if you don't give us two weeks notice, I can't hire you back. I said, don't worry. It's fine. I've got another job. I go back home. It's a Wednesday night. And I get a phone call from the auto parts store. It's Joe, I'm so sorry. Our insurance policy must be changed. We can't hire anyone under the age of 18. And now I don't have a job. So I go to church that night. And my small group leaders, we had a co-ed uh, senior high group. Uh, their names were, were Dave and Kay. Uh, they're a married couple, and I tell them what I did. I tell them all how I was an idiot. And uh, they pulled me afterwards and said, Joe, would you like a job at the furniture store? And I said, yes, I would. Thank you very much. Um, they hired me. Now, they were believers. And I remember walking into the first day of this place and knowing that I know Dave and Kay really well. Like, they'd been my small group leaders. I'd grown up in this church. And I thought, maybe... It's how, what's this relationship going to look like? Can I get away with certain things because they know me? Or uh, is it, they have to have grace on me because I know they're believers. So if I mess up, you have to forgive me, right? That kind of establishment. It could have been easy for me to get away with things because you're a believer and I'm a believer as well. But 
That wasn't the case. I was to respect them all the more. If anything, based on this text, I should have respected them more and not saying I wasn't disrespectful, but, if, but because of the witness, because the other employees knew that they, Dave and Kay were believers and I was a believer as well, our relationship should have been uh, as, as well as it could have been, as good as it could have been because we're believers. You see, if believers arguing back and forth and disrespecting each other does not give God a good name, does it, at all? does not praise the Father when believers are arguing and have conflict, and if it's a public display of arguing. Instead, we should honor those even more. We should consider that even more. So the word rather here that Paul uses should be understood as emphasizing more. So Paul is guidance to Christian slaves is, hey, serve them even more. Christian slaves should aim to do an even better job of service because they have the privilege of serving a Christian master. And the last part of this verse is best understood as because of those who benefit from the good service of faithful and are faithful and beloved. The the Christian slave can willingly and happily provide good service to their Christian master with a positive attitude, knowing that they are serving a fellow Christian, someone loved by both God and other believers. The final step as we consider the instructions for us to exalt Christ by demonstrating godliness through honor and praise, the final step of this instruction is in found in verse 2b, that, that really that next section. If your Bibles have different sections, it you would be easy for you to skip over it because it looks like it's part of verse 3, but it's not. It's part of verse 2b, and it says, teach and urge these things. So the final step of this instruction is to remember to remember. That's real complicated for you to remember that, but remember to remember. Remember all these things that you have been taught. Remember them and put them into practice. Paul says, teach these and urge these things. Paul concludes this section with a strong admonition that can be applied specifically to the instructions given to the Christian slaves here, but more broadly to all of what he has just covered in chapter 5. Every time Paul uses this phrase, teach and urge these things in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 2 through 4, and chapter 4, verse 6 and 11, it always pointed back to the teachings of which he had already shared rather uh, to a future content. This serves as a reminder for Timothy and all who teach the word that we are to emphasize the vital importance of consistently conveying the authoritative teachings in Scripture. And remember, that's what Paul has said. Hey, do these things honor masters so that the name of God and the teaching of his word would not be blasphemy. You see, when we live our lives in a way that is contrary and contradictory to God's teaching, we are not praising the Father. We are not giving glory to his name. We are doing a disservice. We, we are making a bad name for the Father and not a good name. We are being uh, uh, false representatives of who he is and what he has done in the teachings of his word. When we choose to ignore or skip over the instructions that God has given us, our lives oftentimes look like those pieces of wobbly furniture that I would put together, that I would skip over. It doesn't look right. Maybe some at the right angle from a different side, it, it looks okay, but then you get around to where you can notice it. And our lives often look like that when we skip over instructions. It looks almost right, but then you get in a certain situation where you're pressed hard in a difficult situation, and that sinfulness comes out. 
We all are sinners. We all are going to mess up. But sometimes we choose to skip over instructions because we don't like that. I don't like that teaching. I don't like that at all. We are to honor and praise the Heavenly Father. We are to exalt Christ in our whole life. We remember teachings of God. We not only honor our Heavenly Master, but we also give him praise. If we are going to exalt Christ through living godly lives, we have to remember to remember the teachings of God's word for every area of our lives. And when we do that, we show the Lord how much we truly value him by our obedience to his word. You say, you may be asking yourself, well, what does this have to do with me? Uh, after all, um, you're not a slave. But if, if all scripture, as Paul says, if all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, then how is this scripture profitable for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. As we conclude tonight, let's consider the ways that it may be profitable for us, why it's important that we not skip these instructions that Paul has. Paul's concern is for the witness of the church. He's established this. He is giving instructions to the church. And see, that would be, these instructions would be the same whatever socioeconomic system he was addressing. No matter what setting we as believers find ourselves in, our calling is to live in ways that show respect and grace and draw people to the gospel rather than turning them away. The Christian faith is not just a system of beliefs. It also requires action and obedience to the example and to the teachings of God. That's why Paul instructed Timothy to teach and urge these things. It's why we must remember to remember all of what we have been taught. And for what purpose? We go back to verse 1. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be blasphemed or reviled. Or another way of saying it, so the name of God and the teaching of his word might be praised. So when honoring others, all areas of our lives, even people you can't stand, God is praised when we do that. He is praised when we do that. You see, we here at Lone Oak First Baptist Church, we're, we're not dealing with the slavery socioeconomic system, but many of us, like I mentioned earlier, have jobs, or maybe you had jobs, where you dealt with unbelieving employers. So if you follow Christ, you should honor your employer in a way that they might see the glory of God so that God's name might be praised. Everything you do at work is a representation of your God and his name. So work hard and work well, even when it's not easy. We are to obey these instructions and not skip over them. Whether you're a student or you're an employee, every decision you make or a project you work on, you are reflecting the glory of God. You are either making much of the name of God or you are reviling or blaspheming the name and the teaching of God. And so in honoring others, we are praising God. After all, is that not why we exist? To exalt Christ. We say that uh, a few times here at our church. We exalt Christ, we make disciples, and we pass the torch. Exalting Christ is part of who we are and what we do. We are to make much of the name of Jesus, and God wants our whole lives to be an offering of worship, to live godly lives that reflect the goodness of God. You see, exalting Christ is worship. 
Paul says in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Do you catch what he says? He says, work heartily and you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and do it for all for God's glory. Paul says that we have another master that we serve. If that is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we serve King Jesus. We serve him above anyone else. And our whole aim, our whole goal is to serve him well. Wherever we find ourselves in, we are to honor the Lord in everything that we do, whatever job we find ourselves in. I mentioned this job that I had. Another part of this story with this job is uh, my father was an evangelist, so he traveled a lot preaching at different revivals. And so that was our only source of income was my dad preaching revivals. So in the meantime, when he wasn't preaching revivals, guess where he worked? At the furniture store with me. <laughs> I had really three bosses. I had my, my bosses, Dave and Kay. I had the Lord Jesus Christ as who I was serving, but also had my dad with me. And on truck days, when we were waiting around for the semi-truck to get there to unload, that was my favorite day because if it came late, we didn't have anything else to do. So it's whether you're going to the recliner section and taking a nap or going to the entertainment section and watching the movie, that was what I got paid to do. And I thought it was awesome. Well, one day, I'll never forget, my dad was there. He was working. He's like, come on, son. I'm like, what do, you, what, what do you mean, dad? Like, I know, like, you're my father, but you're not my boss here. I didn't say that to him. I didn't dare say that to him. And dad, if you're watching, would not do that. <laughs> but he said, come on, son. We're getting paid to do a job. We're not going to sit on our butts. Well, 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 there, I don't care. You know, this typical dad thing, even at work. And I remember, so well, we can at least go out and we can wash the windows on the delivery truck. I'm like, okay. And he said, son, we're getting paid to do something, but also we're honoring the Lord in what we do. And so we're going to work hard at it. And I said, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. Everything we do in life is worship. Whether or not anyone's looking or whether or not anyone is deserving of our hard work. The Lord Jesus Christ is deserving of it all. Amen? He is deserving of giving him our very best. When you are at work, how you work is an expression of worship. This is an expression of exalting Christ. At school, you are worshiping. Worship, after all, is ascribing worth and value and praise. So when we work hard, and people see our hard work, and they ask, why are you working hard for such a terrible boss? you have an opportunity tell them much of your great God and the teaching of his word. When they ask why are you being so respectful to someone who's so disrespectful, you have an opportunity to praise the name of God and the teaching of his word. To uphold the truth of his word. Isn't that after all what Paul has instructed us back in chapter 3 that we would uphold the truth of God? So work hard. Work hard so that your company or your business you work for might be successful, but more importantly, work hard so that you honor the Lord and bring glory to his name in all that you do. In every area of your life, honor. Honor those. Honor those people. Remember in chapter 4, verse 16, you see right there, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself in your hearers. Paul says, hey, in the way that you interact with people, in living your godly life, as you display godliness, people are going to see Jesus. 
So are you praising Jesus with your life or are you leading people away? We're to exalt Christ in everything. We're to make much of his name. You see, it's easy for us to think that worship only takes place in this room. It is one small part, a big part, but a small part of what it means to live a life of worship, what it means to truly worship the Lord. Exalting Christ is so much more than standing and singing songs on Sunday mornings and Sunday night. Our, our weekly corporate worship gatherings are designed to top off our worship tank, not to fill them up. We should be living lives of worship throughout the whole week. And when we come and we gather together, we, we are encouraged and we are, we, are, we are topping off our tank, so to speak, if you will. Some of you, if you're like me, I, like, I don't like to drive and get my, my tank down to empty. I want to top it off so I can keep going, right? That's not how we should operate. When we gather together, we worship together through congregational singing and by the teaching of the Word of God so that when we leave this building, we continue in worship as we go. And wherever we find ourselves, whether that's in a job with a boss that we do not like, or hard to deal with coworkers, teachers, and classmates at school, or maybe being a, maybe a neighbor, wherever we find ourselves, we honor and respect others. So that as Paul says in verse 1, that the name of God and the teaching may not be blasphemed. So that the name of God would be praise. You see, if, if this seems difficult... We only need to look to Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus, who was the ultimate example of servanthood. Jesus willingly became a slave to sin's consequences on the cross so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin. And in that good news, we carry with us and we display so that we can exalt Christ as we display holiness through honor and praise in our life. So let's not skip over any instructions in this book. Let's be people who would study it and not just study it for knowledge, but also for application. Not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. As we go, we exalt Christ everywhere we go so that his name would be praised, so that we can make much of King Jesus. Let's exalt Christ by displaying godliness through honor and praise. If you're here tonight, maybe uh, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that Jesus loves you so much that he became a slave to the consequences of sin for you and for me so that we could be set free from the unimaginable and unattainable consequences of that sin. There's nothing we could ever do to set ourselves free. Jesus did that for you and for me. Because maybe tonight you need to accept that pardon for you. Accept the pardon and trust him and obey him with your complete faith and surrender to King Jesus. Make him the Lord and master of your life tonight. For other of us who are in this room and we are believers, maybe there's an area of your life, a person even, that you find hard to, to honor. Maybe it's a fellow believer. Maybe you need to make things right with that person tonight, either a phone call or a text or, hey, I need to apologize. I don't know what that is for your life, but I know that this is an instruction that God has given us and we cannot skip over it. Would you stand as we pray? Father, we are thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for these instructions that you have given us. And Father, we know that, that you um, know what is best for us, even when we think we know the best way to put our lives together. God, you, you know what's best for us. So Father, help us to be people who will be obedient 
to your word. Help us to trust you, Father, and what you say is best for us and the ways that you have for us. Father, I do pray if there's someone here tonight who has never trusted in you for salvation, Lord, that tonight would be that night. Lord, that they would walk down front and receive you as their Lord and Savior. God, for, for those of us who are in the room who are believers, God, would you convict us of things in our life that need to change, of ways that we are not honoring you and bringing praise and glory to your name. God, would you have your way during this time of response? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.